Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 750 with Bill Ekstrom. Bill shares how to inspire growth and challenge your colleagues effectively, pushing past discomfort in the best possible way. So you'll learn one, the six things effective coaches do differently, two, the wrong and right way to challenge your team to grow, and three, three morning habits to make every day a great day. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP750. You can find that there. Now, here's Bill's story. Bill Ekstrom is the CEO and founder of Excel Institute. Bill's robust professional career path has encompassed sales, sales leadership, executive leadership with both private and publicly traded companies. He's a founder of startups and even an athletic coach. In 2008, he established Excel Institute to fill a void he witnessed and personally experienced in the coaching and leadership profession within businesses. Since then, Excel's research and improvement programming has been utilized in the athletic and academic worlds, spawning his new startups, Excel Sports and Excel Education in 2019. Big thanks to Bill for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Bill. Bill, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thanks, Pete. It's fun to be here. Well, I'm excited to hear your wisdom. You've done a lot of coaching when it comes to leaders and sales folks and athletes, and even some training of your own therapy dog named Aspid. What's the story here? <laughs> oh, Aspid is, uh, as I say her name, she's about two feet from me. We've always had a lot of dogs, and specifically Labradors, and when she came along, which was my daughter's, youngest daughter's choice to keep her because we had a litter of puppies, her behaviors were just unique. She could turn things on and off just without any training. Like hitting a light switch or? You pull out a training dummy for throw and she turns it on. Mm -hmm. She just is aggressive and, you know, and then you bring her inside and all she has to do is put her head on your lap. So she was very compliant, very well-mannered. And so my youngest daughter and I said, well, let's start training for therapy dog work. So we did the training ourselves, got her certified with a couple different therapy dog agencies in Nebraska. And about the time my daughter uh, headed off to school is when I started to do then a lot of work with her. So we've worked in hospitals and nursing homes and actually some athletic teams. She's done a lot of therapy work with uh, young uh, student athletes. And I've heard a little bit 
about therapy dogs, but what is what is a typical engagement with therapy dog look, sound, feel like in practice? Uh, it's a good question, actually. Uh, so if we use a hospital setting as a backdrop, we were allowed to work in two areas, with geriatric and pediatric. And the geriatric, so you walk down the hall, let the nurses know you're there. They all want to come out and say hi first. And then you just kind of go room to room and you stick your head in. And a lot of times the nurses will say, hey, don't go into room four, but man, rooms eight and nine, I think they like dogs. Or, And so you just walk down the hall and you stick your head in without even showing your dog. And you say, my name's Bill. Um, would you like a visit from a therapy dog? Most of the time, nine out of 10 times, they say, yes, that would be nice. And you just walk in. And then Aspen would either sit next to their bed or if they're in a chair, she'll sit next to them in a chair. And they just literally just run their hands through her head and, and her chest. And uh, this kind of same was done uh, on a pediatric ward where this time there's usually parents. But there was one particular time, Pete, that was forever memorable. And as a matter of fact, there was a, a clip of this in my TED Talk. But when we walked in there, the nurses were giddy. They're like, oh my gosh, you got to go to room three. You, you've, she, her whole bed is stuffed with toy dogs, you know? <laughs> so we walk to room three and I stuck my head around the corner and I said, hey, my name's Bill. Would you like a visit from a therapy dog? And the little girl, four-year-old girl is in bed, uh, very conscious and alert. And her mother just, you could just almost, it's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Yes, please come in. So we walked in and you could hear the little girl in bed gasp audibly. Hmm. So I knew it was a hit right away. But here's what was really cool. And keep in mind, Aspen is not allowed on furniture. She doesn't sleep in bed with us. She's not allowed on sofas or chairs in our home. She has her own beds and rugs and everything. But anyway, we walk in the room and the little girl's now frantically trying to sit up. And I reached up and I put my hand on her bed kind of to just to say, hey, I'll get Aspen in a position to, in the second I touched her bed with my hand, Aspen jumped on her bed, mm -hmm. laid down next to her in bed. And I I was just aghast as her mom was, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll get it done. Her mom's like, no, please, please let her stay, let her stay. And that's where the photograph that was in my TED talk came from. So Aspen and the little girl forever bonded. And beautiful, cool, cool. Well, I don't have a great segue, but uh, <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> maybe, there is one. Maybe that. you do <laughs> when it comes to coaching and and performance. You know the the metaphorical therapy dog. <laughs> well, I think the segue I use in the TED Talk is <laughs> if I didn't make Aspen's life uncomfortable at times, she wouldn't have grown into that because her preference would be to sit around and lay around, play fetch all day not learn new things, not to learn how to not pick up a pill if it falls on the floor, how to not get alarmed when somebody drops a bedpan behind you. So it's that discomfort. And it's the same discomfort that coaches and leaders have to create business to create growth with people and teams. How's that for a segue? I've, well, it's well done. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> well, I, I want to hear all about your, your book, The Coaching Effect, What Great Leaders Do to Increase Sales, Enhance Performance, and Sustain Growth. But maybe before we get into the particulars of the book, can you maybe just reflecting back on your own career, share what's one of the most kind of noteworthy, counterintuitive, surprising discoveries you've made when it comes to people and performance over your, your long career of coaching folks? 
two things and they kind of blend into each other. One is getting the, an event. And again, I mentioned this in our book and I, I'm very open with it in my TED talk, which is getting fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happened in 2008. What goes then alongside of that is the vulnerability that comes with telling people you got fired. That's how I started my TED Talk is with that story. But the only reason I started my talk with that story is because some people, very close colleagues at work, talked me into that. That's not a fun story to relive. It's uh, humiliating, but yet I did it. And the impact of having the vulnerability to share a story like that has been profound. Cool. Yeah. And, and, and so you think there's a, a takeaway for, for folks in terms of their own vulnerability and sharing with others and, and the impact that it has? Yeah, it, clearly there is. And it just makes you a better leader. You become human. So the idea of doing a TED Talk or writing a book, for whatever reason, and I understand it, and please don't take this the wrong way, Pete, but people might put you a little higher than what on a pedestal than what we see ourselves. Oh, sure. And what helped get there is that vulnerability. It is the idea that, hey, when you start off, just the idea of being able to do a TED Talk is great. But when you start off the TED Talk saying, hey, you know, I was on a roll, baby. I, I had things going in my favor. And then I get called into a conference room by the president of a company. And next thing I know, I'm jobless. I got one kid starting college. I got two more at home ready, you know, not far off. I don't have a job. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, it's, I, I've been there. I, I can empathize with that guy. It, it just makes us more effective as coaches and leaders when, when they look at your life and say, his life wasn't perfect either. Totally. Yeah. Well, then tell us, when it comes to the book itself, The Coaching Effect, what's sort of the, the main idea here? The main idea is that leaders need to behave more like an athletic coach to truly maximize their ability to help teams grow and become or really hit peak performance. And the little subplot to that is that as a coach, all the things that we used to think were perhaps soft skills, like my ability to create connections based on trust, my ability to create psychologically safe environments, that Items like that are no longer a soft skill because we can measure them and correlate your ability to create trust. Your, how about this? Your ability to create strong relationships has a straight and direct tie to growth and performance. Mm-hmm. So we talk through in the book what the most effective leaders or what I would refer to as coaches, what do they do? What are their activities and how do they do them well? So it's kind of like a quantity of their coaching and the quality of their coaching. And so we have quantified all that and we put it in within the chapters of the book. Cool. Okay. Well, then well, tell us, how do you recommend we get better at creating relationships and, and making them great? Well, we don't have enough time to go through all of them, but if we use this one and you picked a good example, Pete, because you know it's kind of in the world sport of, of the six things we measure relationships, specifically how coaches connect to student athletes. And we see the same in the business too, how a manager connects with their employees is not good. 
of all the six themes we measure, it's the second lowest. How they do it well, it's going to be so commonsensical to some people, but yet uh, it, it may not be to others. And even the people for whom it's common sense, they have to question whether or not they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we know that the highest performing coaches, they do consistent one-on-one meetings. They have career discussions with people on their team. They hold regular team meetings. They provide written, consistent written feedback, not just oral feedback, but written feedback. So in terms of activities, those are the things that they're doing. And while I'm sure nobody who's listening to this podcast, Pete, is going, hey, Jill, oh, Bill, let me take notes on that because, man, I've never heard of those things before. That obviously is not the case. And most people will do one-on-one meetings with people on their team. But how often? And, and how long? And what are they talking about in those one-on-one meetings? Because to do them well, now we're back to quality, right? To do them well, you and I, Pete, when you're my coach, my boss, my mentor, whatever you want to call me, my manager, if we have a one-on-one meeting and you don't start off just asking me about me, you might come into the meeting, which which is what people complain the most about, and say, hey, we got a lot to do. Yeah, glad we're sitting down here today. All right, g- give me give me uh, some metrics on your goal today. Now, all of a sudden, I'll, you just care about the numbers. Yeah. You don't care about me as a person. I want you to ask me about my new puppy. I want you to ask me about what I did over the weekend. I want you to ask me about my kid's soccer game. And if you're not doing that, I don't perceive that we have a connection. I don't trust you because... You're not asking me about me. All you're asking is about the business, which benefits you. And maybe to some degree might not even benefit me. So that's an example of how we connect with people in the, in the workplace or whether it's on, um, on an athletic field. Uh-huh. I like that clear distinction there. Could you maybe walk us through the six things you measure and share you know, a real clear contrast in terms of, hey, this is common practice, which isn't so great. <laughs> and, and here's a best practice. Oh, wow. Let me see here. So in connection, I gave you an example. The other component of relationship, one being connection, the other being psychological safety, which is really a hot topic in the workplace today. And one of the most simplistic methods for creating psychological safety as as a leader, as a coach, is to ask questions. We think our ability as a leader, as a coach, correlates to my ability to come up with a great idea or great suggestion or an answer to a great question. When the reality is my value is based on my, not just my ability to ask questions of the people around me, but also to get them to ask questions. Mm-hmm. So that's one. So structure is another theme that we measure. And Dave, you set up the processes and the disciplines to create a predictable outcome. Or is, does it, are there no expectations? Do I not understand what my goals are? Is there a method to set goals and to track goals? Communication is another thing. I mean, while common sense, communication, but it comes back to things like, do you communicate vision? Not just do you communicate in the way that I find effective. In other words, do you know if I'd rather have you text me versus email me versus say Slack me, right? Within my company. So it's, it's customizing communication that's best for the person. Then when we get into what we call the complexity themes, 
And the first one that we measure is called skill development, which is kind of speaks for itself. But as my leader, as my coach, Pete, can you help me if if I'm in sales, as an example, can you help me improve my skill set as a salesperson? Mm -hmm. If I'm a programmer, can you help me be a better programmer? So developing the skills that are critical for success in my role. And then the final theme that we measure is challenge. And this is where kind of what my TED Talk was themed around and really what made the book so successful is while we have all these soft skills that are so important, if you don't challenge in a healthy way, you're not creating growth. So it's your ability as a leader to make people uncomfortable is something we measure. Mm -hmm. Well, let's dig into this. How, (laughs) generally speaking, do we make people uncomfortable in the best possible way? Well, if if I may, Peter, first of all, talk about the worst possible way. All right. And that is through fear. Fear, you know, all of these things, when you, when you take all these things together, they create what we call discretionary effort. If they're done well, that means, Pete, if I'm on your team and you're really, you show a lot of acumen within all these themes, man, I'm giving you more effort. I am going to work an extra hour. I'm going to be more engaged. When that recruiter calls me, I'm not taking that call, Pete, because I like being on your team. Mm-hmm. And I love what we do. I love everything about this team. And if you're a fear-based leader, you can still get my discretionary effort, Pete, but you're not going to get it for long because I'm probably going to leave you. Okay. Which can tie me, man. We could segue down the road here of uh, the, you know, uh, the, the great, you know, all the turnover that's happening in the world today. And we have some research on that too. So to create challenge in a hun- unhealthy ways through fear, and that eventually turns into chaos. To do it in a good way is to question. So tell me about this goal, Pete, that you gave me. Tell me how, how you came about to the conclusion of that end objective. Tell me what's going on in your mind. Okay, great. Tell me if I wasn't here right now, would you have provided the same goal to someone else? What would it take, Pete, if you were to add 10% on top of that? Is that something that you could do? So that's an example. It could be, hey, you know what, Pete, I've been watching you work and here's what I see you do well, A, B, and C. Because you do that so well, I'm going to add D to your plate just to see how you might respond to this added thing. So it's understanding you to where once you have something kind of mastered, think of the world of sport, right? We're going to do a drill over and over and over again. But if we just never elevate that drill, eventually people will plateau, they'll peak. Mm -hmm. And the same applies to business. And when that happens, what? how do we amp it up a little bit more? What is one more thing I can put on your plate? One more thing I can challenge you with? In a way that I know is specific to you, that's healthy challenge. Okay, that sounds good. And so then when you talk about those challenges, I'm imagining myself being on the receiving end of each of those questions. And it's a good vibe. It's not like kick off your shoes and put on pajamas and, and chill out, but it's also not terrifying or threatening. Is just like, oh, okay, uh, I'm going to, I kind of got to be a little bit on my toes here and, and then share how I did come up with that goal and, and, and why I, I do or don't think that an extra 10% is feasible. And, and in a way, it makes me think if we interacted this way repeatedly, it would make me realize that it's not acceptable for me to 
go in halfway prepared <laughs> when I chat with Bill about my goals and 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 what I'm up to. <laughs> that, that that won't quite work. Right. And you bring up an interesting point in this ties back to one-on-one meetings, for example. So one-on-one meeting is an activity, but what do I do within that activity to make it a growth event? Mm -hmm. So let's say a real example, a young woman in in our office, and we're talking about entering the collegiate marketplace. And I happened to mention this because of her background and everything. I thought she might be a good fit. So I mentioned, well, have you ever thought about the collegiate marketplace, you know, college coaches are, and it's like, wow, yeah, you know, that, that would be pretty cool. And so we talk about that a little bit. And then if I don't follow up with that in our one-on-one meeting, if I say something like, I, I tell you what, why don't you create a plan around how you would approach that market if you, if you took on that market? And then I don't bring that up at our next one-on-one meeting. Then all of a sudden, the challenge isn't worth anything. The fact that I, I challenged her to do something different. If I go to the one-on-one meeting, so why don't you share with me where you're at the, on that plan so far? Tell me what you've been thinking about and talk to me or show me if you've got something written down. And then she's got to think to your point, oh my gosh, Bill, now he's following up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I got to be prepared. I got to bring my A game. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Well, then I, it seems like it, each of those questions I liked, I imagine even if you have good intentions and you're not trying to rule out of fear, it could be possible to challenge people in ways that don't go according to your hopes and plans. Could you give us some examples of, hey, your heart's in the right place, but your word choice is working against you. So fix it. (laughs) Well, it makes me right away think of uh, an interview, uh, the little documentary assault done with Doc Rivers where he says every team every year in basketball, the NBA, he said, I walk in the locker room. I say the same thing every year. Doesn't matter if they played for me before or not. My name's Doc Rivers and I'm human and I'm going to make mistakes. And I think that's part of what we have to do as leaders in business is, is hey, my name's Bill Ekstrom and I've been doing this a long time. And you know what? I'm still going to screw it up. So back to your question, how do we screw it up? Well, first of all, we could screw anything up, but usually screw-ups are the result of not knowing somebody. If I haven't crawled into your life, Pete, and, and I'm your manager, I'm your leader at work, and I don't know all the things about you, if I don't know what your goals are, I don't know what your objectives are, and then I come up with some random challenge, you're going to be looking at me like, how does this tie into what I do, who I want to be here at work? You know, it, it just it just won't ever click. But if I can sit down with you and say, hey, based on your strengths, which are A and B, based on what you've been doing here, based on the direction the company wants to go, wondering if you'd be at all curious into looking at this marketplace. Mm-hmm. So I showed you an example how to get it right, <laughs> not screw up, but it could be the opposite of that, right? I don't mention your strengths. I don't talk about direction. And all of a sudden I bring up, hey, I'm, uh, what would you think about in, uh, checking out this marketplace? You'd be going, okay, well, why? I, I, how, why would I? I mean, take time away from what I do. You know, put me on this task. It's going to take hours and, and time away from my successes here because it does, you, you see, I haven't tied it together for you. 
Mm-hmm. So that's how we do it ineffectively. Yeah. Well, thank you. you you've got another concept which is intriguing in terms of the growth rings. Can you expand upon this? So the six themes I mentioned, there are we, we, those are what we call sub-themes. And they roll up into larger themes. So we there are three primary themes that have to do with the way one leads or coaches that lead to growth or no growth. And the themes are my ability to develop relationships, my ability to create order, which are systems and processes and tools, and my ability to create an environment, a complex environment, which is an environment of challenge. So the growth rings depict living environments that either promote or hinder growth. And there's four environments total. Two of them I haven't talked about. One's chaos and one's stagnation, but we don't need to spend time on those because those aren't good places. Just by the words themselves, you don't want to be there because one creates negative growth. The other can create negative growth or no growth. So that leaves us with an ordered environment and a complex environment. And a complex environment is the only environment where growth occurs because that means I'm being challenged. That means inputs have changed. That means I'm going to be uncomfortable and Growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. Tying that back to the themes, challenge and skill development are themes that are part of complex environments. Now, I know this is getting pretty heady stuff, but in an order, those themes are structure and communication, providing me predictable outcomes, and that creates comfort. It's the opposite of of discomfort, right? Predictability correlates to comfort. Unpredictability correlates to discomfort. Mm-hmm. Challenge then, Pete, is that people don't want to be in discomfort. That's who we are as humans. But unfortunately, it's the only environment where growth occurs. So it's quite a quandary that, Bill, you're saying, I as a leader help to get people in a state of discomfort to grow, but that's not a place they want to be. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> so we better be really good at it. Relationship comes into play because that allows me to know what makes you comfortable and uncomfortable? What gives you, you know, when is it a good time for you to be in a state of order or comfort? And when do I know you and what do I know about you to know when it's a good time to push you into a state of discomfort? Yeah, and that's good. And so we've covered a, a, a number of pointers. Any other sort of top do's and don'ts in that zone? Make your mood predictable if you're in a leadership okay. role. Don't ever make your people guess what kind of mood you're in when you come into work. You don't want your team, when you walk into the office or wherever, maybe kind of a murmur, murmur, oh my gosh, you know, what kind of mood's Pete in today? Uh, oh, gee, I hope he's, hope he's in a good mood. Eliminate that. Just by being in a good mood always? Or how do I eliminate that? Well, yeah, being consistent. You know, I know what, when Bill comes to work, I know what to expect from Bill. He's in a, in a consistent mood all the time. He's never down. He's never pissed off when he walks in. He comes in the office. He's always in a positive mode. That's predictability. That makes me comfortable. Well, Bill, tell us how do how does one be always in a positive mood? <laughs> that seems nice. It wasn't always this way, Pete. I work hard. I, I'm very intentional about trying to be in a positive mood. And I was just having a conversation about this this morning with a gentleman. I follow three things very habitually every morning. I have a very strong order that leads to a very predictable outcome. First thing I do every single morning is journal. And that 
clears the mind, it clears the brain, it clears space. I get any challenging things that are mushy in my head. I put it down on my computer. I just a word document. I just shut my eyes and I just begin to what my coach, my coach would call brain download is what I do. So every Monday through Friday, I do that. I follow that up with gratitudes. So I open a new document and that is right now 165 pages long. Oh, beautiful. And every day I write a minimum of three things I am grateful for, or that make me smile. One of those two things. They have to fit in one of those two boxes. Okay. And, and it can be just totally random, like LaCroix or like that happened to you in the last 24 hours. Right. Exactly. Uh, here's an example. Uh, the taste of my first sip of coffee in the morning. Thankful for that. Grateful for that. Uh, when I walked out this morning, the moon in the clouds, ooh, for how the moon looks in the early morning with partial cloud cover. <laughs> the smell of a pine tree, boom, done. Mm -hmm. Now, but here's the center. So that's part of the equation. So I list three gratitudes or things I'm grateful for or that make me smile every day. Then I go back, say, 100 pages ago, and I just randomly scroll up the Word document and I open a page that say could have been 18 months ago. And I read what I wrote then. And here's what happens. Inevitably, I'll come across a gratitude or something that made me smile that hits me again. Patching of baby finches is one of the things I wrote 18 months ago uh, that I happened to look at this morning. And I had a memory of they had this little nest outside of our kitchen window, these little finches, and then they had eggs. And then they the, the eggs at the hatchery had these baby finches for like 30 days one summer. Mm -hmm. And just thinking back to that made me smile. Now, all of a sudden, I've done my brain download. I've listed three gratitudes. I go back and look at the other things I've been thankful for in the past. And man, I'm in a good mood. I mean, I am ready to get to work. So then work begins. I get about an hour and a half, two hours working. And then I go straight to meditation. And this is all before I've seen a single person. So those three things combined, the journaling, the gratitudes, and the meditation. I can't say never, but I can tell you with 90% accuracy, I start every day on the same level. Mm -hmm. That's handy. All right. So not only do your, your folks have some predictability, uh, but you're feeling good. <laughs> so that's awesome. Beautiful. And we had Hal Elrod on uh, talking about um, some of these habits and here you are living them out and uh, it, it's rocking for you. That's cool. Yeah, it, it, it's been life-changing. Cool. Well, then I guess I'm curious, any final thoughts in terms of when it comes to coaching, growth, leadership, making sure folks are continuing to go up and up and up before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Don't ever dismiss the power of connecting with people as in your leadership role. I know that may sound cliche and easy, but we tell people that all the time and, and you'd be surprised. Even people that think they've got great connections with the people on their team, assume you don't. Go crawl into the lives of the people on your team. All right, thank you. Now, could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? What I shared in my TED Talk of, and it continually, I, I can't ever get rid of it. And it's not my quote, it is, Dr. Serene Jones is who wrote this, and my oldest daughter brought this to my attention, and it ties right into the growth rings concept you mentioned. It is, the constant facade of order hides the wilderness that is craving to seep out and teach us 
that life wasn't created to be what we think it is. Beyond words, we must experience the wilderness to be taught what cannot be otherwise known. So I have that memorized. And the other quote that is so part of my life today is from Dr. Viktor Frankl. Are you familiar with him? Oh, yeah. So the Austrian psychologist, excuse me, psychiatrist that survived two years in the concentration camp. Anyway, favorite quote from him is between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Those hang with me every day. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Uh, what we're doing now on the great resignation. <laughs> really interesting work. Too long to get into. We don't have enough time. But yeah, some really fascinating work on the great resignation right now. And a manager's a leader's role in that. Mm-hmm. Well, can you give me one startling insight? Yeah. Those powerful insights I shared in terms of what great leaders are doing to create high-performing teams, they're doing a lot less of them post-pandemic. The one-on-one meetings, which great leaders, the number of them holding, are the frequency has dropped by like 20%. The career development discussions have dropped. Team meetings have dropped. So all the things that created these high-performing teams, they're doing much less of them. And they wonder why people leave. Huh, interesting. And a favorite book? Answer for meaning, Dr. Viktor Frankl. And favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Mindfulness. And is there a key nugget you share that people tend to quote back to you often? <laughs> Growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. My kids said they're going to put that on my tombstone. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? BillExtrom.com, Excel Institute, that's E C S E L L Institute.com. Our book is The Coaching Effect, and that's the only promotional thing I'll do is go get that. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all the great bookstores. And the TED Talk is just, I get nothing from that. You know, of course, TED owns it, but it went viral. And it's it's a fun talk. It's called Why Comfort Will Ruin Your Life. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? If you want a better performing team, start by looking in the mirror. Because how your teams perform, if you're in a leadership role, how your teams perform are simply a reflection of you. So if you want a higher performing team, it all starts with you. All right. Bill, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you much joy and keep up the happy mood. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Pete. I do my best. Sometimes it's hard to do all day long, but I always start the day the same way. I love Bill's emphasis on challenging well, because it can be tempting to just not do it because it feels uncomfortable, but that's the only way that growth occurs is with some discomfort. Again, great stuff from Bill. The show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob slash EP750. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.